0: This is Ravel, a roundtable show about the complexity of faith in the age of information. My name's Josh. I'm Stephen.
1: And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of American Christianity, and we still keep thinking about how to take it seriously, even as we leave some beliefs behind.
2: We think theology should be an exploratory dialogue, so our hope is that this podcast will encourage growth, both for individuals and communities.
0: We don't have all the answers. But we're here to sort out as much as we can over a drink or two. Join us as we ravel out our faith in a complex world, pulling on one thread at a time, seeking meaning at the end of it all. Thanks for listening.
1: Here we go. Hi. Hello. Hola. How goes it, my fine me male friends?
0: Mm, Buenos dias to you.
1: Oh, thank you. Uh, what are y'all consuming for beverages today?
0: Uh, I made myself a nice big cup of tension tamer tea.
1: What is that?
0: Uh, it is a tea by Celestial Seasonings. Okay. Fun fact, it is their third most popular tea. I'm a huge fan of it. It is minty, chamomile, and catnippy, And it's my favorite tea. Ah, mm.
1: uh, okay. The catnip tea. Okay.
0: And I got a, uh, a hot mug of salted
2: caramel tea that I'm enjoying Ooh. with a little bit of honey.
1: Oh, y'all hitting it up with the tea. I gave up tea for Lent, so. Oh, sorry. We're just oh, rubbing poof. it in. That's oh, so I mean. I feel like a jerk. <laughs> no, I feel like, no, you're just, you're making it even better. We're enjoying I'm it you. I'm fighting for the temptation. You. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Please enjoy it for me. You're very I'm welcome. I'm enjoying your good old VA energy with orange pineapple.
2: Mm, so. There you go. Yeah. Delicious. That's a good flavor combo. It's a good flavor combo. I can't have tea. Absolutely.
1: Yes, it is. It's such it's an underrated combination I think but it's delicious so here we are folks I have been teetering back and forth on what my next topic should be and I finally you know I sat down and I was discerning as one does and it just I stuck to my gut and I thought we should talk about mission trips um and the reason this topic had come up for me was because i was invited and by me i mean my youth group at the church here in cody we were invited to participate in a mission trip with one of the umc churches in billings and i was really like When I heard mission trip, I was like, "Ah, like, let me get all the information. I'm so excited. And then as time went on and doing some discerning, I thought maybe not this time, you know, like, thank you for the invite. We're going to pause for right now. We'll see where we're at. Hopefully, pandemic wise, things look better for a mission trip maybe next year. And financially, too, just with it kind of being last minute, it would be a little difficult to get everything squared away. But the discerning process for me about mission trips was what really caught my attention because Hmm. I was reminded of my experiences with mission trips and what the whole mission of a mission trip was. And I think there's a lot of conversation around the idea of mission trips. What is the point of a mission trip? Are -hmm. they even helpful? Are they useful? Do they do more harm than good? Mm. This can go in so many directions. So I want to start first just by dialogue of what your experience of mission trips are, you know, whether you personally have gone on a mission trip or have heard of one. And then I just want to see how the conversation unfolds. From our experiences, I think we can have a very good conversation. So that's how I want to start.
2: Okay, so personal experience, I have none, is what I have. Oh, I have zero. I'm, wow, six, I have had the nada. opportunity to participate in quite a few, only through youth group. I say okay. only. Huh. I mean, like I'm sure other church organizations, like directly related to the church or somehow tangential, have. Created the opportunity for, like, post-high school seniors to go on mission trips for me, but I've never paid attention to them. Yeah, it was, mm-hmm. it was mostly, like, through high school that I would hear about them. So I have personally had the opportunity to pass on going to Bolivia, Mexico, somewhere in Portland, Oregon, and one more, like, in the Midwest. I forget where it went.
0: I love <laughs> I love that you're, like, naming the places that you... Have not gone yeah, to. Yeah, these are the places that <laughs> i, I specifically it. not blessed with my own I love blessings. it. <laughs> are we, are we defining, I'm sure this still applies to Stephen, but are we defining mission trips as like a group of people going to a place outside of your town to accomplish something church-wise? Well,
1: I think that is what partially can be up for debate. So totally. if that, if that is your definition, um, okay. then sure. But otherwise that is up for conversation as well.
0: Um... Maybe before we move on, Stephen, I'm curious what has your perception of mission trips been as mm. someone who has not gone on them? Like, That's a has great your question. perception changed over time at all? Um, has the attractiveness level changed? Tell me your thoughts.
1: What was it about mission trips that, like, what was it that you didn't want to attend or participate in those mission mm-hmm. trips? That's what I want to know too.
2: Yes, me too. Uh, Josh, you should tell us your experience just in general
0: of Trips First before we start getting into this (sighs) phase. (laughs) Okay, fine, fine, fine. (laughs) Fine, we'll Um, all
1: answer, then we'll come back to you, If you insist,
0: I guess. Uh, In high school, I went with my youth group at the time. We went to Haiti, and it was post the earthquake of 2012, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. we were going down there with an organization that was already established there, and part of their goals as an organization was to use the rubble of the earthquake to build new houses
3: Mm. which
0: was pretty revolutionary it was the first time that anyone had done something like that and so what we did there was like the labor that was i don't want to say like not hireable but we did like the grunt labor that like would not have been contracted out and then they like contracted the the finishing of the house like so we would like move the rubble we would put it in the wire cages and then uh like contracted laborers would like make the actual house, Mm. if that makes sense.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay.
0: So that was in high school. And then later when I was a volunteer youth leader, I ended up going with my church with a combined uh, youth and adult team to Brazil to another uh, established organization down there that is a church, but also works in the slums. And uh, that one I really debated on going on because I think for anyone who's gone on a mission trip, uh, in hindsight... You do think about it differently, like whether it's the culture shock or did I actually help anything? Did I cause harm at all? I think that we unpack those experiences in different ways. So I I had, of course, done that for the first one, and I was really on the fence about going to this other one because, like, I'd already been introduced to ideas like helping can hurt sometimes. And as a part of me going down to Brazil on the second trip, I read the book "When Helping Hurts" that like famous. Mm -hmm. like book about these things. And uh, to be honest, the things that like sold me on going on this trip the second time were the fact that like some youth were going that had never been out of the country before and who were, and some of them had never been outside of Montana before. And like I knew, I felt like I knew some of the things that they could potentially go through and I could like help guide them through that, I guess. Mm, And mm -hmm. B, I also felt better about going down to an organization that like we were not the center of attention the organization's work was and we were merely like volunteering to help them they were basically like doing uh like a new vbs like children's thing in a neighborhood each day which was like already a thing like they already do that on the week and the church has done that for like 30 years and like part of their organization's structure is to do that and to like bring more kids into their education system because education in brazil is really poor and part of having americans come in is that it helps like legitimize them as an organization and like gives them more credibility with the drug lords
3: Mm. Mm. wow Mm
0: -hmm. yeah so that was a really interesting angle to me and so i felt better about going to do that instead of like the classic problem of like being a parachute helper sure whoa yeah um so those have been my experiences wow that i would consider mission trips your turn emily
1: in 2012, Laurel UMC's youth group we went to UMCOR, which is United Methodist Committee on Relief. Um they have warehouses throughout the United States where they collect supplies to make emergency kits and these kits can vary um from need of the community. So they have flood kits, they have um birthing kits, layette kits, things like that. And so what we did was for I think it was like four days we worked in the warehouse assembling kits. And so we were sewing diapers for cloth diapers. We were, you know, counting out bottles of toothpaste. We were assembling the blankets for the birthing kits. And so we would then put them in the boxes and we would know exactly which box was being sent to which community. So that was really cool. Yeah. Because sometimes it would feel like you're doing this ambiguous project and you wouldn't really know what the outcome would be, who was actually receiving, you know, the fruit of this labor. Um, But it was really cool for us to say, hey, this particular birthing kit is going to help someone who's giving birth in this particular community. And it could have been local, nationwide or internationally. Also, it was really cool because it taught all of us skills like sewing and counting, like things like that, where you're not just aimlessly doing something, but everyone was hands-on participating, putting these kits together. So that was really cool. That was, that was something I truly treasured. Hmm. And then in 2015, my husband and I, Alex, we had a chance with our college group to go to Honduras, where we worked with an organization called House of Hope. In Puerto Limpira. it's on the Mosquito Coast of Honduras, which is one of the poorest parts of Honduras, the most dangerous parts of Honduras, and where the most drug activity takes place as well. And what we did was through House of Hope, they were expanding their schooling system, and so they wanted to try and implement new classes So Alex actually had the chance to teach some art lessons because they had never done art in their schools before. So it was really cool for Alex, who at the time was working on his student teaching, to use some of this time for student teaching with the kids. And while they were expanding their classrooms for those who weren't there to teach, we actually helped with the manual labor of the facilities of the school. So whether it was painting, moving fencing, rubble, things like that. And then really, I think the reason I really wanted to go was to go and create relationship. And so I loved just spending time with the kids, whether it was helping them with homework or playing with them on their playground, eating meals with them. It was just so cool to be present with other people. And there's this one little boy, Louise, and I'll have to share a picture um, in the show notes with you. He was... uh, the light of my life, this adorable little two-year-old who was abandoned by his father. And so House of Hope actually has an adoption program where they will take in kids who are stranded or found in the, you know, the rainforest of Nicaragua and Honduras, and they will house them and feed them and provide them with school and a feeding program for parents who don't have the needs to feed their children you know they can provide meals or they can say hey you can leave your children here with us until you are ready to raise your kids and that was really cool that was a great experience um but it also had its sides where you really had to think about what you were doing and was it more harm Mm -hmm. than good um and that's a conversation throughout the episode that we'll touch base on later but steven now that you've heard our mission trip experiences I want to know why you didn't go on mission trips. What was it about them? You know, have your perspectives changed about mission trips? Would you want to go on one? What's going through your brain? What's what's going on?
2: I think probably at the base of it, I'm just <laughs> I'm just <laughs> I don't know if I'm cold hearted or what. But like the <laughs> the pitch or the plea in youth group, like to get us involved Never resonated with me. I don't know. If,
1: what was the pitch that they would use?
2: Well, so for our church in particular, I remember Honduras actually is on the list of places I've <laughs> chosen not to go. <laughs> so thank you for reminding me. But for for ours, especially the Bolivia trip, it was like, we're going to go and kind of like be part of the community for two weeks and really get to know the kids and share the gospel. And Uh, Beyond that, I don't really remember much of it, but that's the vibe I got. And that's, those are also the stories and the pictures I saw of the event. And to be honest, like my classmates and my friends came back from that trip and they were telling me about how amazing it was. And even then I was like, that doesn't, that doesn't sound so great. So like,
3: (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) I
2: just, it makes me sound like really terrible maybe, but my, my, like my entire thing then and now when it comes to missions is so i guess it would be good to define missions like are we going out of town for a quote-unquote missions trip and does a missions trip have to be like days on end you know
1: and that's the thing i think me personally i would say no i think missions can happen like wherever you are in your community
2: okay so you don't
1: have to have a suitcase and travel okay
2: so that's that's my opinion where i would draw the line then because like if we're gonna count things that we've done in our city in my youth group i felt like i was the first one to sign up to go hang out with kids on the south side of billings and help like drywall the basement of a new home you know Mm-hmm. Embedded in the community, like I think the the root of my skepticism the whole time honestly comes back to money and when when it's like first of all, like before we ever have the opportunity to go on a missions trip to another country or even another city in our country, like Portland, Oregon, for example, before that in our youth group, our whole thing is like you raise money to go to camp, and that's that that can feel very me focused, like you're there for the entertainment I think a lot of kids are there for the entertainment value of camp and I think also parents love maybe having a week or a weekend without the kids at home so like when your first experience is raising money for going to camp and then the same kind of infrastructure is made to like go somewhere mm-hmm. else it was hard for me to not see like how is this not just like me raising a bunch of money so that I can enjoy an international trip Mm. was one aspect of it and the other one was okay so if if steven needs to raise $2000 to go to bolivia for a week and steven is one of 20 that's $40,000 that's going to take us to bolivia for a week but what i, I guess my imagination always brings me more local and like what could $40,000 do for nonprofits or for groups that are serving the south side of billings like mhm my mind always took me much closer to home.
0: Right. Well, and to be honest, I think a lot of the countries that people tend to go on mission trips to, the dollar, the U.S. dollar actually goes way further. So, like for instance, yeah. with uh, the trip to Brazil that we took, I felt a little. I did feel better about it, partly because part of the money that we raised to go on the trip was sponsoring like a church camp for kids that like normally would have not have gotten out of the inner city mm. otherwise. Mm-hmm. And so we were like sponsoring this camp as a part of our fundraising and like we funded it. But then like at the end of the day, I was thinking to myself like, well, man, like we could have like driven even more of that if we hadn't come down here and we just like spent our plane ticket money on more of that. right?" But I can also agree that there is something to the experience of going to another country and experiencing culture shock or in seeing Christians in another context. Or I also feel like I've gotten this like implicit angle of, Like, come see what we're doing in hopes that you will give us more money. Oh, sure. Yeah. Right? Wow. I feel like that's mixed in there too. Like, it's like all of those things. Like, the
2: investors are here for a tour.
0: Yeah. It's like, it's like volunteerism, philanthropy at its finest. Mm, Like, who else has accomplished this to this level? Truly. And I
3: think
0: Mm -hmm. that's why my feelings about it are so complicated because, like, going on a trip has definitely, well, going on multiple trips. Uh has definitely formed me as a person like I've experienced culture shock in going to another country and in coming back. like I think anyone who's visited a quote unquote third world country or a place with like bad water or food access when you come back to America, like it's sh- kind of shocking, like you feel really grateful mm. oh, for what yeah. you have in a way that you've never before uh, but I, I I definitely have complicated feelings about it. like it's formed me as a person, but I can also like look back at it and like kind of tear it apart and be like, oh, maybe some of this wasn't as good as it should have been.
1: Sure. I think one of the things for me that has really shaped my understanding of mission trip is what is the actual goal of the of the mission trip, mm-hmm. whether it is local, national or international. And I remember growing up, this was even before I went on mission trips like internationally or anything like that. This was when I was just like helping in the community, whether it was like at the food bank. Or donating um when we did coat drives and things like that. I remember people would say, Well, we need to bring Jesus to these people. That's what the whole point yeah, I don't of love this. That. And I just remember how it made me feel inside and it was icky. I hated that feeling. Cause I would then go home and discern, like, wait, isn't God everywhere? Shouldn't God like, doesn't God love yep. all people? Why do I like, why am I having to bring god bring jesus to these people what does that mean and it was distorting the idea of missions for me um and luckily my mother bless her soul linda shelton if you're listening to this episode mom i love you so much Um, shout out to linda you like she so she's the chair of the missions committee at the church that she attends and she is always trying to find ways of engaging In the community and not just this grandiose, oh, let's bring the gospel to Mm. these poor third world people. It's, hey, let's let's find ways of utilizing our skills, our resources to, one, benefit those in need, but to actually create relationship. Like that's the type of person that she is, that she doesn't want to just drop off something and say, oh, I feel better about myself. She actually wants to Mm. be hands on. For the long term and to say, hey, this is something that we can do every year. This is something that we can build a partnership with and have connections with people. Because then you actually get to understand how God is at work in the world. When it's more than just this handout or this freebie, you know, oh, here, let me paint this building so I feel better about myself because you obviously couldn't paint this building yourself. no. That's not the point. Yeah. (laughs) And I think that for me has really changed. And I'm so grateful that I've gone through that icky discernment process of no missions isn't about this. It's actually about that.
2: (laughs) I really appreciate the long term vision for what missions could be and what missions uh, should be, in my opinion. And that's probably why it still only captures my imagination insofar as my locality goes like I I drive past a certain home in the south side whenever I go to my favorite coffee shop and I have vivid memories of playing with quite honestly probably some of the first black kids I ever met and like I remember playing soccer in the street mm-hmm. with them during youth group and I remember like driving past another house I remember doing like the entire basement like hanging drywall with my brother and a, a couple other contractor dudes from our church like that feels like I'm planting a seed somehow. Or like when I give to community leadership development here in billings, I like seeing the impact that makes on a more regular basis. I also like knowing the people that run that organization and like having personal relationships with them. And, and maybe mine is just a really jaded or cynical view of what international the international version of that could be because I've never gone, so I don't really know how the infrastructure works or really see what happens. I just, I think, I think Emily, you touched on a really good point with like it feeling icky that we're bringing the gospel or bringing Jesus to somewhere, and it, it does give me that a little bit of that like, oh, you poor thing, like let us mm-hmm. American saviors, you know, parachute in. I guess, yeah, you know, like. Josh, do you have any thoughts about this, like, parachute helper idea? Would you mind fleshing that out for me? Because that, that's the first time I've encountered that language.
0: Oh, really? Okay. Um, it's also uh, an ethical problem with research in the social sciences. Like, uh, it was really popular in the early days of sociology and uh, anthropology to go to a place as a researcher uh, who's coming from a complete outside perspective. I think we talked about this on a couple episodes ago. Oh, on the Colts episode about the sociologist studying Bethel. Oh, yes. Yeah, I brought up the the point about the Nasarima, the the tribe that anthropologists (laughs) went to study, (laughs) and so there was this tendency to like hyper academicize. Oh, I don't know if that's a word, but like kind of like that, like just like apply these fancy words to like label things and uh, not be a participant observer. So now, uh, social scientists prefer the methods of. Participant observation and even like communities conducting social science themselves instead of someone just coming in from a complete outside perspective that is not even familiar with the group. It can really mischaracterize and misinform what is happening in the community. Sure. Yeah. So mm-hmm. then when it comes to the issue of international philanthropy, you definitely run into very similar issues. Uh, and that's why, like, short term missions, quote unquote, got so highly criticized and there started to be a tendency towards quote-unquote long-term missions or like partnerships with existing organizations supporting each Mm -hmm. other because it doesn't run as many risks as people who just come to be a part of a community for a week or two and arguably do more harm than good. Like I actually really appreciated that even on my first mission trip, we were very highly advised like it was against the rules to do any form of street evangelizing like we, oh, like we were not allowed to go out on our own that was against yeah. the rules yeah that was against the rules that was it was like strictly forbidden but like we were only there Whoa. to like do the grunt work sure yeah <laughs> right and one day there was uh two groups of us there like we were from montana there's another group from the east coast and i don't know if they didn't get the same memos we did Uh-oh. But they decided it was a great idea to go play down the street, like play guitar and like go pray in the square or something like that. And so we had gone with them and I don't remember super clearly. I don't remember if like we completely knew what they were going to do, but they were like just worshiping out there for a little bit and then they started praying and like preaching. But I don't think we had translators because they definitely speak not English in uh, Haiti. Like most people don't speak English. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, unless you're educated and then later uh, the director like found out about it and like gave our leaders and their leaders a very strict talking to like that is not allowed that cannot happen Whoa. again that is bad for all of these mm. reasons and that like discredits us as an organization like wow. that's not the kind of work we're here to I do I like that and I really respect that looking yeah, back yeah seriously I agree so they were like obviously trying to prevent that sort of like parachute evangelist yeah. mindset and to be honest, I think that that's my biggest problem with people like that street preacher who keeps showing up near my workplace. Oh. Like I goodness. feel kind of discredited, like for him to show up and like act like he's the only Christian ever that could bring Jesus to Pike Place in Seattle or bring Jesus to anywhere in Seattle. Yeah. Like there's literally so many Christians. Like I don't know for sure, but I'd be willing to bet he's driving in from outside mm-hmm. of the city. And, like, I feel kind of discredited. Like, wh- what do you think I'm doing every day? Right.
1: Right. Embedded
0: in the community.
1: Yeah. That's the other thing, too, that I really appreciated as I got older, discerning this idea of missions is your everyday life can be a form of mission. Like, it can be a form of evangelism. You don't have to be bullhorn guy or you don't have to be this renowned international missionary who's constantly traveling and constantly doing all these big grand things. It's Mm. mission can be whatever you want it to be, like how you want to live it in your life. And I think that's what I appreciate most about like when my church says, Hey, we're doing our mitten drive for Cody cupboard. I'm like, Oh yes. Like I love this. We have so many kids here who need hats and coats and gloves in the winter and backpacks with meals in them for kids who only get to have one meal a day and that's because they have lunch at school you know like mission can look like anything and it doesn't have to be this here let me slip a bible verse that's the other thing too is they could be sneaky about you know sharing the good news mm. they want to find ways of preaching to people so in the backpacks maybe they try to insert a bible verse or something it's like I get what you're trying to do, but that's not necessary in order to spread good news to people. Like, what mm. you are doing is enough. Like, it really is. If you really wanted to go the extra mile, by all means, if you feel moved to do that, that's totally fine. But you, you can feel comfortable knowing that just giving them the backpack is still sharing the gospel. That in itself is being the hands and feet of Christ. And being loving towards people, you don't always have to have a little Bible verse snippet or a pamphlet about your church, promoting your church like those aren't necessary. They're okay, but they're not necessary for the mission to be done.
2: I agree with you. But what would you say to church people who would be like, well, then what differentiates us from. You know, just like the local nonprofit that does a school drive every year for backpacks. Like what differentiates us, if not the fact that we are going to make it spiritual in some way?
1: Just the fact that your name is attached to it. Like when we say Cody United Methodist Church is hosting a soup kitchen, it's different than Cody Cupboard hosting a soup kitchen. And so when people come to the soup kitchen, they get to know members of the church. They get to talk. Then members can say like, Yo, yeah, I've been a member of this church, you know, for so many years and blah, blah, blah. And it's just that building relationships Mm. rather than just swinging by and picking up something.
0: Sure. Okay. Where do you think we became obsessed with this mission, missional language? Like nowhere in the Bible does it say that. Yeah, I guess you could point to the great co-mission. But like, Mm -hmm. why do we love the word mission so much? Because it makes us feel like superheroes (sighs) is what it does. That's my cynical take. Is it because of the like American military complex? Like we love militarism and mission sounds like, ooh, I'm a spy. Well, I'm on a mission. Oh, Josh. I, don't know. I
2: mean, what are the corollaries to mission and like
0: colonialism? Mm. I mean, there's a lot. Mm-hmm-hmm. I mean, we already kind of talked a couple episodes ago about like the marriage of like, the Roman Empire with Christianity and both of them being very uh Outward focused. Yeah. Right. Right. And like that's where we got like the doctrine of discovery.
1: Sure. I would say part of it is if we're looking at the American and American, I mean, United States context for sure. Cause we can think back about globally the idea of missions. And I would say it kind of started back in the medieval, middle ages period with monasteries sending preachers and volunteers to go and be a part of the expansions of territories or education. And I think the same applies to the United States. You know, we want to we want to teach the heathens. We want to teach, you know, and we want to indoctrinate these, these lower people, essentially. And that was their way of bringing God to people. And that's the idea of mission. Do you think
2: the root of it, though, is always bring this to the lower people or bring this to the savages? Do you think that is baseline the motivation yes. or could it just yes. be we have something H- historically, good enough yes. to share well no, no I I get <laughs> no. like in the, in the <laughs> I'm trying to be way less cynical about it because like I think about like the Spanish missions in Texas but I suppose those could also just be tied to Spain wanting to increase its influence
1: I would say here okay so I would say they're intention was to just share the gospel and good news, but the way they went about it was very, uh, what's the word? Uh, Dominant? Yes. It just, it didn't actually get that across. It was, Mm -hmm. I want to share the good news with you, but it's only because you're lesser than or because you're a Native American.
0: Well, and there's just a, we, even without the racial components, even though I think that's completely valid, it's totally a power move when you say, I have the knowledge and you don't.
2: Yeah. Okay. Couldn't we say that John Wesley was doing the same thing with his circuit riders? Yes. And you're okay with that? <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> because- Ooh, Emily hates Wesley. <laughs> well,
1: so I hate Wesley in the sense of exactly what he did in Georgia. Okay?
2: Oh, educate, please.
1: What he did in Georgia was-, her, it, was it had to deal with the populations with Native Americans down in Georgia, down in the South. He had sent bishops and – because circuit riders were sort of a thing. Circuit riders were more in the West. Mm -hmm. So the bishops and those who were serving these very small sort of churches at the time, their sole duty – and, I mean, he's mentioned it in his writings – was to bring God to these heathens. Like, like, that is the language that he uses, is Uh these people are lesser than. They need to know God's love. They need to know that – You know their beliefs are not entirely right, and so we need to indoctrinate these people. And it led to this huge—I don't want to say separation—but it led to this unrest, really. And Methodism in the South was not successful at first. Um, it took Uh. a few—it took a few times for it to really kick in. Whereas circuit riders, they were more—they were talking to yes, they were not necessarily educated people. But they had tra- they had moved from England, so they were already aware of English teachings of Christianity. They just were not used to this idea of Methodism yet. So the circuit writers had a little different angle, where it was, okay, you have this basic concept of God, but now let's break it down into the specifics of what John Wesley is trying to say. Whereas what he did in the South was, uh, no, we're going to teach these people who are lesser than about God because they don't know God. Was their assumption.
2: Mm. No. Okay, so you're more than willing to say that even that was problematic with your I don't know spiritual founder for the church you work yeah. for. Okay,
1: absolutely. Well, my favorite I think that's... Wesley is Charles. Are you kidding no, me? <laughs>
2: that's that's the hymn. He's the hymn writer, correct? Yes. Okay. Well, first of all, Emily, I think that's really healthy that you hold that stance and you don't just want to defend Wesley f- just for being Wesley. I admire that.
1: Oh. No, you kidding me? John John Wesley definitely had his faults. Like the whole point of Methodism in the first place was his mission, I guess you would say, was to reform the church. And actually Methodism became the church that he wanted to reform. He saw the things that were not working out and he was like, ooh, yeah, no, we need to change this. And the product of that, unfortunately, is the church that we have today. Like we are still the church that Wesley was wanting to reform. Mm. His mission was never completed. I, th- and I this, think the reality of mission, that's a good point, actually, is sometimes mission is never fully completed. Yeah. Like, you'll never fully get the job done.
2: Yeah, that's fair. I mean, like, this is this is a side note. This is a tangent. But isn't it weird that the guys who are always trying to do, like, reformation always end up just creating something new by accident? Right. Isn't that weird? <laughs> right? Like, Martin Luther is like, yo. We got we got a few problems with his ninety-five Theses, and now we have Protestant Protestantism. And then John Wesley is like, Hey, we have a few problems within this a- Anglican tradition. Let's figure that out. And then the Methodist church comes and out then, of it. Makes you wonder yeah. makes you wonder what Michael Gunger is doing with the liturgists.
1: <laughs> hey. Hey.
0: Oh. Or every other straight white male that's ever wanted to reform Christianity.
1: Amen to that. Jesus.
0: Um <laughs> If you like what you're hearing, the best way to tell us about it would be on Apple Podcasts, where you can leave us a five-star rating and a review, which helps others find the show. If you'd like to leave us a longer message, our email address is theravelpod at gmail.com.
1: If you find this conversation valuable, please tell a friend about the show in person with the text or by sharing about the show on social media. You can join us on Instagram and Twitter at RavelPod.
2: Thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music in full color off his album Here. Find his work on Spotify and Bandcamp. And remember to subscribe to Ravel so that you never miss a new episode. Thanks for listening.
0: Wow, what were we talking about?
2: Mission? Um, how? Uh, yeah,
0: L- no, let's, talk <laughs> Wesley, great, let's talk about this great. Let's talk
2: about this great mission because I yes. think this is what it comes down to. I feel like this is the single. I can't think of any many other supporting text, and it's where it started.
1: Yeah, this dispersion of the apostles. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Shall I read it? Would you like a reading from? <gasps> yeah, let's just
1: read it. Yeah, let's read start. Read it. Read it. Forty minutes in.
2: Let's Matthew start there. twenty-eight verses sixteen through twenty. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Amen. So what do we do with that if not well Jesus told us to. Jesus told to go ev- us to go everywhere and saturate his name across the globe.
1: I think what we don't read though is how to do that. It just says to do it, but what does what is it supposed to look like? And I think that's where we as critical thinkers as human beings can say maybe some people feel moved to literally evangelize to people and to t- teach about Jesus and about why you should be a Christian. And maybe for others, it's just the hands-on work and being present and showing Christ, showing God through example, through your life, through the things that you are actively engaging in. I think it's open for interpretation.
0: Mm. Also, I have a footnote that says, like the English translation detracts from the main verb in Greek being emphasized as make disciples and we have a tendency i think to emphasize the go to all nations kind of thing even yeah. though that phrasing is broken up in the sentence oh yeah which is kind of interesting to me but i i can acknowledge that i think that good can be done like i think that we can frame it well like i don't think that us going to another country to do philanthropic charitable work is inherently bad like i think we can frame right. it well like for instance Bill Gates has become a huge philanthropist and like, I mean, criticize him if you want, but like he has gone to other nations and like figured out what they need the most and like what to invest in in those communities long term. And like on some level, that's impossible if you don't go there. Like I actually think the going can be good and done Mm. well and not in like harmful ways that put us on a pedestal. You know what I mean? I think it's partly in the framework, like maybe we just need to change our phrasing around it, maybe sure, maybe there just like need to be more safeguards in place, but like, I think it can be done well, like I think a lot of good can be done philanthropically through the church, like the church is obviously a huge mover for disaster relief and um funding, like especially America being one of the like the wealthiest nation right now, like we can be a huge funder for. Uh, humanitarian projects worldwide and I don't think we should just skim over that what either. do you think
2: mm-hmm. should we make any statements on uh, like this philanthropy and supporting the community either through finances or through our own sweat and muscle how separate should that be from the whole evangelism angle to it because I, I, I see Ooh. what you're saying mm. which which is like yeah we should be supporting brothers and sisters around the globe but When I don't know when the uh, when the thing you're trying to slip through the cracks is that you are going to get the opportunity to walk them down the Romans road and
3: Mm, like mm -hmm. share the
2: gospel with them. Like, should we be doing that anymore, do you think? Or is that work Mm. largely over? Because I hear I hear Jesus say, go and make disciples of all nations. And part of me wonders if so, like, obviously you're on the shores of Galilee And you're telling people whose technological advancements are like, hop in a cart and travel to India, Thomas, go be the missionary to India, Thomas. And like, that's the best technology they have to share the information. And this is even why we have Bible in letter form is because they were trying, they were communicating with the Mm. best technology they have available. But now the best technology we have available is pretty much global broadcast assuming an internet connection which is getting easier and easier to access around the globe and if it's just an informational sharing Mm. highway that we're after through missions work i wonder if evangelism should just should not be a part of them at all anymore
1: Ooh, i think it depends on your definition of evangelism
2: or even the gospel to be honest
0: Mm. <laughs> I mean if you just go with James that like true religion is helping the widows and orphans then I don't think preaching and teaching needs to be a part of it Yeah, then. to me it seems that part of being the gospel yeah. is like doing those things like you could talk about orthopraxy right but then I do also think you have to reconcile it with Jesus talking about like making disciples and the, like the verbal aspects of it but i i don't love it when charitable work is also accompanied with what seems to be a pitch for christianity mm-hmm. whether it's explicit or implicit like oh no we're sure. just doing these things because like we love jesus like even that in itself can like not be good sometimes yeah because yeah,
2: do you think it injects some level of like Hey, we're here to help you for a week, and then at the end of the week, you go and share the gospel. And now, do they? F- is there any kind of social pressure that says like, "Hey, we just gave you all this stuff, and we just painted your buildings and built mm-hmm. your houses. Like, the least you could do is listen to one of our sermons." Is there any bit of that? That's a super right. cynical take.
0: Or I also feel like no, but that totally happens. So I actually don't think you're wrong. No, to you're have not that take. wrong.
1: That happens in churches. We have that. Mm-hmm. I there are churches in Cody where you know part of the ministerial association. We have it where. At The Methodist Church, we have it where it's we have a program called the Good Samaritan Fund where anyone can come in and they say, you know, I need help with my utilities or could you assist me with my rent or groceries? And we say, oh, sure, absolutely. We have a partnership like here's what we can do for you. There are other churches that say, oh, we'll do this for you, but you need to attend a certain number of worship, sun- like Sunday worship services or.
0: Yeesh. Oh, that's gross. Oh, I've never heard of anyone doing that. What? Is,
1: isn't, I know, I cringe. I cringe when I hear this. And I can't tell you how many times people have said, oh, so like, do I need to come to worship? Like, do I have to join your church if I'm asking for assistance? And my secretary and I are like, no. We want to say, hell no. But we say, no. <laughs> we, we say, no, like you are not required to join this church or to come to worship. You are a, you are a human being asking for help from another human being you we are we can just be decent and to say hey yeah we have this fund we are more than happy to help you with your groceries like have a good day we 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 did what you needed help with and then that's okay but when i hear people say oh yeah i had to go to this worship service before i could even meet the pastor to ask if i could get assistance my heart just breaks. Okay. My heart just hot gets take, so heavy. Hot
2: take. It's easy to make your church's outreach transactional when the base atonement theology you subscribe to is also transactional.
0: Yes. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. I see what you're saying. I, I okay. Agree and that. maybe that's all I'll
2: say. Like, we, we all know that I'm not a fan of penal substitutionary <laughs> <laughs> atonement. And this what? is honestly kind of why, because it does create that little slimy, like, there's all of a sudden mm. debts to be paid. And oh, yeah, like oh, a, yeah. a, a mm-hmm. divine ledger, divine accounting ledger now. And if you have that between yep. you and God, why not have that with you and the person asking for rent
0: assistance
1: and the church? Yeah, oh, yeah,
0: that's a hot take for sure.
2: <laughs> Tweet at me if you want to.
0: Yeah, there's definitely some social reciprocity at play there. I also think that I really don't like the implications of i want to do this thing because jesus wants me to do this thing like oh, may, i think yes. that that can be really dangerous like i i think a lot of people say that innocently and they don't mean it to sound like this but like would you not want to help feed someone if it wasn't for jesus like do you need jesus to tell you to go feed someone who's starving i, I don't think we should need that Yet
1: to be a decent yeah. person yeah
0: like that's a really dangerous implication. But well, that's
1: the thing is think about how many people are not Christian and are still living Christ like. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Oh totally. Yeah. And and yet they don't wake up and say, Well, Jesus would want me to do this, so I need to do it. In fact that shouldn't even be like scrap like no. No 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 no. Don't even don't even go there. Don't even especially when I think about when I was in high school and you know, we we would have peers or or people who would say, "Oh, we did this mission trip," and then you would see on their Facebook or their MySpace when that was a thing.
2: Yes, um, <laughs> do it for the gram. They
1: would share. They would share pictures and it'd be like, they would have this cute little Bible verse. They would be like, "Oh, I just, I just thank God for this," you know. And it's like when I like I remember when I would share pictures of the mission trip. It was because it was just a great picture, <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, I love this picture. It's great." It would never be this like. Oh, let me just pour my heart and soul to show people that I'm this great Christian. And here are these poor little kids that I just happened to snap a picture with. Which did you even ask for consent to take Probably their picture? Probably not. Did they want Probably not cuz
0: chances are there was a language barrier. Did they
1: want the picture taken? Are you just promoting something else? Like are you actually promoting the work that you did and the relationships that you built or are you promoting you? And seeing how you are a higher than Christian than other people because you just so happened to be feeding the poor and you snapped a picture of it. Like, come on, yeah, come on. Do it for
0: the gram fam. They changed me more than I changed them. Honestly, there needs to be like, <laughs> in my opinion, if mission trips are going to continue as a structure of philanthropy for church networks, I think there need to be major conversations, not just like higher up, but um with people who are going on these trips even if they're youth yes. there need to be major conversations about ethics because yes. it's my opinion that even adults in these other countries if they are receiving help from you cannot fully consent to right. you taking pictures of them because there's a power play in the flow of money and because you're an american right and uh hardly people in my experience don't talk about that they don't i think it's a i think that's an element that people forget exists mm-hmm.
1: whether it's internationally or even in the community i would argue too
0: i know of one organization and i will keep them nameless and i will also keep their location nameless um for reasons that mm. i will tell you uh That's they admirable. Mm-hmm. their work is centered around repatriating women in sex work and this is this is not meant to be completely anti-sex work but they work in an area that is often involved in women being trafficked against their will mm-hmm. which is not all sex work i will admit that and so part of their work is like trying to teach women a different trade and then also helping those women save and get money to go back to their home countries where they want to mm. be and i've noticed on their social medias that they never sh- they only show pictures of their staff they never show pictures of women they're working with mm. they never share real names and to be honest, I find that like refreshingly honest for them to not like make it into a social media game, not to uh like overly romanticize what they're doing. I think that that's a, a big problem I've noticed, too, is like people tend to overly romanticize the trips they went on. And I yeah. think even more so when unconsciously they realize that they didn't really do anything like Stephen. I think that that's why you were probably turned off sometimes is all the time. I think people tend <laughs> to overly romanticize the trips that nothing was accomplished yeah, on. Right.
1: Well, yeah, because if you have so many pictures to show this, like you're, it's clear that they're staged pictures in the sense of you're sitting with these people or you're trying to be candid, but it's really not yeah, candid. I mean, maybe like, like, where's the work? Where's the there's actual always the work? leader
2: or the, the one kid who's just like a photography nut and just wants to carry a camera around everywhere.
1: Sure, sure. But I still think that's a little different than the, okay, can you stand over and make it look like you're painting versus like actually being covered in paint, like to show that you actually were painting rather than just holding a paintbrush that doesn't have any paint Mm. on it.
0: Which I think that that's motivated by like, we want to show the products of what we did, like what we did was actually good, which I actually think that's a good motivation. But something like that is not the same as financial transparency. Right.
1: Right.
2: Oh, man. Oh, man. See, like... We talk. I we talk about short-term missions and pretty much wholesale. What's considered short-term anymore, though? Great question. Like a week, a year. Mm. Like I know people who have done mission trips for a year through like campus ministries, like all over South America. That feels long-term, just like by a (laughs) just Mm. looking at a calendar. Mm -hmm. But like, if that's considered short-term, then maybe I can't.
1: I would say long term is where it's a, I don't want to say consistent, but it would be a ongoing where even if it was like, let's say for those who. Like they
2: actually live there.
1: They live there and I'm just, so like I'm thinking of one long term would be the church in Laurel that my mom goes to. They do a shoebox mission where for Christmas they do gifts and stuff oh, like that. No. D- 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, okay. <laughs> they do they do the they do the gifts. They actually talk to the kids and they talk to the parishes that are involved with the program and they say these are what the kids want for Christmas, sort of thing. They do that. Okay, right? okay it's and it's something that it's not just a one and done. It's they do this every Christmas and they change how they do it every Christmas too. And I think that for me is what's long term is. You do this thing every year. It may change during the time of year and the mission itself may change. But if you have this connection that you stay with more than just this one time. So although the shoebox mission may look different five years from now, they still have connections with these people that is long term. And that is what I consider to be a long term Mm. mission versus, oh, I went and traveled and I taught for a year. But then you never went back like those connections are gone. If the group that you are associated with sends people each year, I would say that is long term because sure, the teachers Mm, or whatever mm -hmm. is different. The act itself, the mission itself is a network and it's something that's continuous that I would argue is long term. Um,
0: But also. Uh, I also think there's a tendency to assume that long-term always equals good. Like, for instance,
3: mm, in sure. crisis
0: relief, that's obviously going to be short-term. Like, people need help now, and they might not need it in another month.
1: But, see, I would also a little disagree with that, too, because, like, UMCOR is a long-term thing. Like Sure. You know, they may not always need birthing kits or flood kits, but it's still going to be ready in case they need it. That's the sure. whole point,
0: is okay, to be that's ready. that's point on relief Mm. that's a that's a good point actually i have kind of three
2: i guess rapid fire i don't know if we need rapid fire but like i have three very like unrelated questions related to missions are you guys ready yes go i guess yeah (laughs) do you think that our christian denominations like protestantism would do better to have like an official system like mormons and jehovah's witnesses
0: no no uh I say no because those organizations are very heavy on the evangelism. That's what, I, even yeah. Even though they also do philanthropic work and crisis sure. relief.
1: It's still very centered on evangelism.
0: Yes. Mm, okay.
3: 100%.
2: Yeah. What do you think? So Ditto. I have had a friend, he went on a, uh, a college missions trip to Russia. And he spoke with people like in the Eastern Orthodox tradition, like in the Orthodox tradition over there in Russia. And uh, he he came back. I don't know if it was a revelation to him, but when he was telling me a story, basically the thought of, yeah, like Russian churches send missionaries to the United States. Like, does that make you feel weird?
0: <laughs> like that other countries send missions to us? No. Nope. I mean, if the last four years have taught us anything, it's that there's something broken about christian evangelicalism so yeah it's not completely unwarranted i guess
2: it caught me so off guard when i first heard it because i was like wait other countries do that because like i'm america i am used to exporting all of my values everywhere else i'm not used to having others imported (laughs) you know because i i think that import export language is good to recognize as well like Mm. a white white american goes to africa you're exporting a lot more than just the week's worth of supplies or gifts or emergency aid, you're bringing your Mm -hmm. whole culture with you, you know,
0: and that might leave problematic lasting effects. The angle that I thought you were going to go on that was not where you went. The angle I thought you were going, going to go with was other, like other Christian traditions have a really rooted tradition in, uh, like monasteries and like personal spiritual development. And, in my experience, a lot of American Protestantism does not have as rooted of a structure. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm. Those systems, and I think that mission trips can get tied up in that in a really complicated way because, like, you hear people talk about like, "Oh, I, the kids changed me more than I totally. changed yep. them," mm-hmm. and it becomes really wrapped up in spiritual development. And to be honest, I think that that is a symptom of a greater problem of not having better. Structures in like the making disciples part of the Great Commission. Yeah. Like say, for example, thought experiment time. Say, for example, (laughs) uh, Protestants were better at having like some form of monasteries where like we could go for our own personal development and spiritual health in our own time. Oh. In my mind, we wouldn't run into the same problems of our quote unquote mission work turning into us being oh, the wow. main thing. Sure. sure. Yeah, totally. Right? Like that's kind of where I thought you're going to go with that and I think that's a really interesting concept. I love well, that. To be honest, I think is lacking in American Protestantism. I'm so glad you went that direction. <laughs> I like that. No, I
2: I like that thought a lot. I mean, like I feel like that is one of the things that makes people uh I don't know. I mean, I would consider Ravel kind of part of this like this whole deconstruction movement or whatever is happening in our time Mm. right and like I think I think part of that is like we're lacking that deep sense of personal experience with the thing and I think a monastery is a perfect corollary Mm. to that right and it's what attracts people like us I think to that is like you see I mean some people are just going to be angry and become ex-evangelical atheists or something but why is it that so many people even if they start identifying as the nuns N O N E S like
1: the nuns yeah
2: i've heard it both ways anyway uh <laughs> <laughs> um why is it that so many of us start being attracted to more liturgical frames of worship style you know mm-hmm. like i I'm personally in my own spiritual development like the only thing that feels like it resonates with me is is going to mass at the local parish, you know, like going to an actual Catholic Mm, mm -hmm. expression of the thing, because I it's almost like I just need maybe like a slower mode of worship, but also just tapping into a much older tradition, whereas
1: a more ancient. yeah.
2: Yeah, I feel like hyper charismaticism or like really flashy evangelicalism is so new. And I think a lot of us are just noticing that, like, it's a lot like just the rest of the culture. Mm-hmm. So maybe we could tap into something else. That's what you have me thinking about now, Josh. Like maybe yeah, it mm-hmm. we we are experiencing a dearth of of such like contemplative time and maybe that would make our missions work better.
1: Maybe. Yeah. I like that. Don't know until you try.
2: I okay, so one of the main questions to me at the open was where am I now with missions? Okay. I am I don't want to say I'm against missions because I have several friends who do missions and I actually believe in the work they do, but I still will not personally participate mostly because I can't believe we haven't talked about this yet, but one of the main motivations and one of the main reasoning points growing up for me was that we do missions so hard because of that one weird verse that's like, unless every ear hears and every heart like has the opportunity Mm. to accept Jesus, we can usher in the end time. Like Jesus won't come back until everyone is heard. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And why not speed that up? Like Maranatha, let's get this party started. And to do that, we have to go to literally every tribe. And like, that is so problematic to me. Like that gets naive and very, I don't know, maybe self-righteous was the right word for him. But that one guy who got like speared and killed by that one tribe, in the water. Do you remember that story coming out? Oh, yep. A couple oh, couple yeah. of years ago.
0: That was uh, off the coast of India. Yes. That gets us in trouble. Mm-hmm. Like that theology of yep. like
2: every ear must hear before Jesus. <laughs> I, I, like he, he's like, he's watching the thermometer, like fill in with marker. Right. And just waiting for it to get to the very top before he initiates the second coming. I think that is
0: so problematic. Yep. Yeah. I was definitely taught that growing up. And so <sighs> was that guy who got killed By that tribe. Yes, yes. And even though he might have caused them irreparable harm by like introducing new bacteria to them. Yes. As an un, what are are they called? Uncontacted people.
1: It's funny that you mentioned that because I think, you know, three simple rules. We think, you know, the first one is to do good, us Methodists, but actually the first one is to do no harm. So when you are planning Uh. a mission trip, when you are planning... Anything of that nature, you have to think, is this going to cause harm? Like what what are the possible effects of this action that I want to participate in? Mm-hmm. Is it selfish-based? You know, is it to to satisfy my own feelings? Is it to glorify us rather than to actually do work? You know, things like that. And then like Josh, like you said, there could be unintended consequences. Are we introducing a foreign bacteria to to these people are we are we actually breaking laws by (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. traveling illegally and doing these things and there's so many repercussions to our actions that whatever happened in romans
0: 13 baby
1: yes like yes we like yes we want to do good but we need to do no harm
3: in the process right
2: illegality has never been a barrier for like smuggling bibles into burma (laughs) or whatever like that is specifically something that they argue for like no, you are actually going in there as a fugitive because you have like a duffel bag full of Gideons or whatever. <laughs> like Yeah. <laughs> yep. Man, that is so that's why I'm not with missions even today. I just like I don't Well
0: But you are. Uh, not to end on a completely cynical take. I agree with Emily. You are if anyone wants to uh read more about a very nuanced view of what mission work can be, I would definitely point them to that book, When Helping Hurts, because they like talk about everything that we just talked about, and then they advocate for what they call asset-based community development, where whoever's doing it is not uplifting themselves, but they are recognizing the strengths of the community and helping a community develop and work with those strengths. And to be honest, uh, Stephen, you mentioned an organization in Billings that you're familiar with called CLDI. And I think they're a great example of yeah. that asset based community development. And the leaders of it might not call themselves missionaries, but like they it are. completely fits the picture of what the book, When Helping Hurts, talks about. So yeah. I just
2: need to redefine some things to be yeah. <laughs> to totally be helpful about.
0: Okay. Because it is, it is that.
2: Let's take it to this. I think we do need to redefine some things. Yeah. Take it to this unreached people. I think the other thing that bothers me is that just as there, this is not like a one-to-one rule. This is not every pastor, but there is a specific type of like personality that is attracted to being a pastor. And I think the same types of people can be attracted to missionary. And I think that can, Mm, that is related to like, the power and possible acclaim they might get from being the hero. Like there's, there's a bit of, I mean, Mm -hmm. I I feel just just for me, like I'm the guy who goes and starts three podcasts in 2020. Like I have a bit of a Messiah complex and I think a lot of pastors and missionaries (laughs) do too. And I think unless you're not wrong, very careful to keep that under spiritual direction and under counseling and under accountability. Yes. The the types of people who are attracted to the mission's job can very quickly unearth some ulterior motives that they won't realize until they're like in the thick of something really nasty. Yeah. I also think there's a little bit. So this this guy who accidentally got killed, I kind of think like because even up until the very end when he went to go swim to the shore, he was like, I just feel like if God is calling me to die right now, then God is calling me home. And like, he was just okay with that. Mm -hmm.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: I won't put that at God's feet because I'm not sure that was God talking to him, but I will put that at at the people who developed him into his adult faith to say like, Mm. you can hear God this way. Like, I think those people are probably complicit in that guy's death by like encouraging him to view missions that way. Sure. So sorry to like, Thank you, for, thank you for giving me the gift of maybe I'm less cynical than I think, but then I just turned it around on you again.
0: <laughs> hey, you know what? Well, I, it is what it is. To be honest, I think that that's exactly why we have to like be cautious of the words that we use, and exactly. that's why I'm so skeptical of the mission language, because like, exactly. I can recognize that ph- philanthropic work can be really good, and it can be not proselytizing. Like, We can care about the people around us without trying to yeah. push our religion on people. Right. But I'm that's why I'm so skeptical of this mission language, because it seems really militaristic and really domineering to me. Yeah. Maybe a bit colonial.
1: It's all about intention. For sure.
0: But also, I think even with the right intentions, we can cause harm.
1: No, that's what I mean. Yeah, it's because you have to be mindful of what your intention is. But how are you actually going to carry out that intention?
0: And do the communities that we want to help want our help?
1: Right. It has to be mutual. There has to be, that's where relationship building and connection is important. If you, if it's all one sided, that is harmful.
0: Yep. Yeah.
2: Cause otherwise the attitude is, we know what's best for you. Let us, exactly. Let us come in here and
0: import what we are here to import. It is difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. I think Jesus knew exactly what he was talking about.
1: <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Stephen, do you think you would ever consider? participating in a mission trip outside of your local community just to see what it's like? Do you think that's ever a possibility?
0: Yeah, what if you were not accomplishing something like as a product or service to someone, but what if you were going strictly for the sake of tourism and seeing someone else's life? Would you call that a mission trip place? or just
2: like I'm going on vacation though?
0: Uh. Well, like what if it was specifically to like see the work of an organization? Yeah. Or to like see how people live in different circumstances.
2: I think that would probably be valuable for me,
0: but like, okay. So if you were going to imagine yourself doing that, how would you go about it ethically?
2: Oh, even then, like, I mean, like probably really listen to this episode just to give me, give me, <laughs> get my talking points straight or get like, nice way to plug the podcast. Well, Cause nice. honestly, I just haven't, I haven't done a lot of thinking about it. I just, Uh Sure. If we're gonna I put think that'd it,
1: be the first step. If yeah. we're going to
2: put it in the calling language, I've never felt the call to go outside my city to see a community mm. flourish with mm-hmm. what I could possibly bless it with. You know,
0: I completely relate to you, honestly, because I really love the idea of live where you're at and like invest mm-hmm. in the community that you're a part of and uh, within your power and privilege, try to empower the world around you and the people yeah. who are not as fortunate as you.
1: I'm also a fan of, you know, if you want to see God at work, that it's okay if you see God at work in your community. You know, if you if you're one of those people that maybe you couldn't afford to go on a mission trip or you didn't feel like you would be allowed to for any any reason and you feel like you're missing out on something, to so know that God is at work everywhere and it's okay if it happens at your food bank or helping out with an organization in your community. And I think if you ever have an opportunity and you feel that you need to have an opportunity to go and see how God is at work in other parts of the world, that that is valid. But to really be mindful of what it is you are doing, mm. what, is, what is the point of it? And if you are going for self-glorifying reasons, To make yourself feel better, to make you feel like you are blessing other people and they wouldn't be blessed without you than to really evaluate how missions is handled in your life. Because if that's how you would view international or national mission trips, you might be doing the same in your community, too, like locally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that that's where intention and action come together. Have the intention, yes, but think about how you're actually going to act on that. Mm. They have to, to come together.
0: I think that's exactly why I feel weird sometimes talking about mission trips I've gone on because it's Mm -hmm. so difficult to talk about them Mm -hmm. in a way that doesn't sound like I'm like romanticizing it. Exactly. Like, yeah, I've gone to Haiti, I've gone to Brazil. Like, even just saying those words sounds like I'm like it sounds cool or it sounds like I'm making it sound cool.
1: Right.
0: And so that I feel like anytime I've like talked about them since, I usually try to preface it with I've gone out of the country and sometimes I feel kind of weird about it. Mm.
1: Yes. And I think that's, I think that's so important. Mm,
0: Very good. Very good.
1: Very good.
2: Thanks fam. If you want to support us on our mission. (laughs) 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 Sorry. Those segues are just. They're low-hanging sorry, fruit sorry. is what they are. If you want to support <laughs> us and join our little community, uh, you can join us on Patreon. We are patreon.com ravelpod. We have been having an absolute blast getting to know people in the Discord server. So if you are a current patron and haven't signed up for Discord, please, please, please do
0: that. We're having so please much fun. Please do
1: it. It's so great to get to know you all.
0: Also, if uh, you are curious of the type of people who listen to Ravel, Stephen interviews some of them on No Normal People, his other podcast.
3: Yes.
0: Which is super rare. Oh, thanks for the plug, fam. Absolutely. Oh, of you're course. welcome. I, I love it. It's a great project.
1: It is so cool.
2: I should also mention that if money is tight and you don't feel like supporting through the Patreon is something you can do right now, we also would be immensely gratified to see a five-star rating and a review come from you. That really helps us kind of boost our numbers and let the visibility happen within
0: Apple Podcasts. Also, if you still feel weird about money, support local, shop local, shop small. It makes a huge difference. Do it. Do it, do it, do it. Emily, will you benedict us out?
1: I will sure try. Whether you are working internationally or you're working just around the corner from your house... Know that God's work is being completed in so many ways, and we are still discerning this idea of mission. Mission may look different five years from now than what we're used to, but it's a process that can be beautiful if intention and action come together cohesively.